0: Get are playing basketball We have
1: that basketball They're Hello everybody basketball. Welcome to College we Hoops Chat basketball. our weekly college basketball radio show here at WVOX 1460 AM My favorite radio station I'm Jim Maysano, the host. I'm here with you every week, Monday night, 8 p.m. to 9 p.m. to talk about the great sport of college basketball. So welcome to the show. Did you love the opening week? It's kind of unbelievable, folks. But we have college basketball back. It's back. It's fun. I've been watching every night. I'm having a lot of fun watching uh, college basketball. Again, I hope you are And the other thing is, not only do we have college basketball back on TV, but you can go to the games again. And I've gone to two games already. I went to both of Iona College's first two home games, I saw the uh, opener uh, against Appalachian State, and I saw the second game against Harvard, that was Saturday, and I'm going to go tomorrow night to see them play Hofstra. We got to see on TV not only the games, but you got to see fans at the game, you got to see the passion the student sections, people yelling and screaming, cheering, the whole scene that is college basketball. And frankly, it's been fantastic. And we'll talk about that in the course of the show tonight. So let's start close to home with our Iona College Gales. We usually give Iona uh, the front of the show each week. So I went, as I said, I was there for the App State opener. App State's a good team, okay? I talked about last week, About App State being a team that made the NCAA tournament last year, and they are a threat again this year uh, in the Sun Belt uh, to be an NCAA tournament team. So Iona had a tough, rugged game with App State. Uh, The game went back and forth. Iona ended up winning 65 to 53, but I will tell you, the game was a lot closer. One of the interesting parts of that game was Dylan Van Eyck, who had 17 points and seven rebounds for Iona. He's a graduate senior. He was like a coach on the floor. Uh, He was critical to uh, winning the game. But most importantly, he was questionable to play. Dylan Van Eyck was injured. And uh, it was unclear if he was even going to play. Well, not only did he play, but he carried the team to victory. Again, with 17 points and 7 rebounds. We also got to see Tyson Jolly. Their big-time, explosive player they got from SMU, who is a very strong offensive force. And in his very first game as an Iona College gale, he got 19 points. So that was another important part of the game. Uh, Iona also got a, an advantage of App State's uh, best player, a guy named Michael Almanansi. Uh He was the best player for either team in the first half. He got in foul trouble in the second half, which was uh, made it a little bit difficult for Iona. In the first half, when he got in foul trouble, obviously Iona offense started moving a little better. He was a point guard. He was playing great. So that helped Iona. But most importantly, in the second half of the game, the Iona defense got a lot better against Appalachian State. That was the bottom line. They turned up the defense. The defense led to more offense. They eventually broke away in like the last five minutes and got a big 65-53 win over App State. And again, I was impressed with App State. They were an older team of juniors and seniors. You could tell they were a veteran team that they'd played together in the past, and they looked really, really good. Let's talk about the Harvard game. That was Saturday. That was an overtime win for Iona. It was a thriller, have to tell you. I was sitting there nervous. Iona won 90-87 to 87 in overtime. Harvard played very well. They had a player named Chris Ludlam, with 28 points, with a lot of slashing layups. They were beating Iona off the bounce and getting to the the net, And it was very interesting uh, how well Harvard team did in breaking down the Iona defense with slashing drives to the net. I think Iona was a little surprised by that. Uh, But Iona, in the course of the game, did force 28 turnovers. That was a big part of their win. The star of the Harvard win for Iona on Saturday was Nelly Jr. Joseph with 28 points and 8 rebounds. Once Iona was able to clear out space down below, get the ball to Nelly Joseph, usually in single coverage, sometimes even double coverage. But once they got the ball down low to Nelly, Iona was able to get buckets from Nelly because he was pretty unstoppable, and he ended up with 28 points. But a lot of other guys chipped in. They got 90 points. Dylan Van Van Eyck, 16. Tyson Jolly, 16. Elijah Joyner, 13. So Iona struggled from three-pointer again. Um... Their three-point game is a little troubling so far this season. They only shot 24% from three-pointers. They didn't do that well also uh, in the opening game against App State from three. Field goal percentage was low for Iona. They only made 42% of their tries from uh, the field, whereas Harvard got 53. They shot the ball better. But the bottom line for Iona was this. The game went to overtime kind of in a crazed last segment of the game where I think Iona probably should have fouled. One of the players from Harvard forced them to shoot two free throws because Iona was up by three. But Iona Iona wasn't able to foul anybody. So they ended up getting an open three-pointer. And, of course, the kid from Harvard hit it, sent the game to overtime. But in overtime, Iona shot the ball really well. From the field, they went three for four. From the three-point line, they went one for one. And from the free throw line, they went five for five. And Iona won the game because they shot the ball really well in overtime. And, again, played really good defense. Uh, I interviewed Coach Rick Pitino. That was fun after the Harvard game. A couple interesting things he said is that Iona will not be playing any zone defense all year. They'll be doing full-court press. Uh, they will be pressuring the ball all the time in, in uh, one-on-one coverage. No zone. So if you're looking for zone defense, don't look at Iona College. He also mentioned Rick Pitino yeah, after the Harvard game. He was in a pretty good mood, even, even though it was a really tough game. Uh, to win, but they did win 90-87 in OT. He said that in his career, uh, whether it was Kentucky or Louisville or Providence, his teams always play better in the second half. He thinks part of it is conditioning, uh, but clearly in both games, Appalachian State and Harvard, uh, Iona played better in the second half. And Rick also uh, mentioned that he does not have a great three-point team. He's hoping for average to good from his team. He knows he doesn't have a great three-point game, the Iona Gales, and have to find other ways to win. All right, so there's my Iona update. Tomorrow they play Hofstra. Hofstra's a pretty good team. Uh, They gave a scare to Houston, a top team in the country, a Final Four team. So uh, it's going to be a tough game tomorrow night for Iona. No cupcakes for the Iona Gales. Okay? Uh, Iona has work to do. I think they learned a lot about the team in the first two games. They should come out Tomorrow night at home against Hofstra and play very, very well. All right. And the last thing I'd like to say about Iona is that we got to see crowds in Iona's. Now, in 2019, Iona, they changed the gym. They turned it on its side. And they now have fans on each side rather than only fans on two sides. So Iona kind of modified their gym. So in 2019, though, uh, and 2020, right when the pandemic hit, they weren't that good of a team. That was one of the weaker Iona teams in about a decade. Tim Cluse was sick, you might remember. And uh, it was not a great season for Iona. Said so they didn't have big crowds. So Iona never really got to see the effect of the new gym. Last season, uh, no fans because of the pandemic. So these first two games were the first time with a packed house for Iona. And I could tell you sitting there, the crowd made a difference. It was a very strong, boisterous crowd for Iona College gals. The new gym and the crowd made a difference. Hopefully we'll see it again against Hofstra. The next thing I'd like to talk about is the best college basketball game I've seen so far this year. I think it's the best game anybody saw so far. And that was UCLA against Villanova on Friday night. The problem for those of us who live on the East Coast is the game was at 1130 p.m. Eastern time. So if you lived on the West Coast, that wasn't so bad. It was three hours earlier, 8.30. But for those of us on the East Coast, the game started at 11.30. Uh, again, that's UCLA against Villanova. That was a terrific basketball game. I really, really enjoyed it. Uh, if you if you stayed up like I did, and I, I, I took a couple of naps to get ready for the game. When I came home from work on Friday, it was a great game. Interestingly enough, Villanova, a Big East team... Villanova blew a 10-point lead in that game. Uh, with 9.24 to go in the game, Villanova was up by 10, and they ended up uh, losing in overtime 86-77. to 77. What I saw in the game was Villanova played excellent, took that 10-point lead, and the big difference was they didn't have the bench to match up with UCLA. UCLA's bench was better. UCLA played better in the final 10 minutes of the game. and That got it to overtime. That was the catch-up. UCLA had a catch-up to Villanova, and they did, got it tied. And then they beat Villanova pretty handily in the overtime. What I saw is that the UCLA Bruins, their bench stepped up throughout the game, and their players were a little more rested, and they played better in the final 10 minutes, and they played better in the overtime. Justin Moore, one of the best players in Villanova, fouled out. That was a big problem for Villanova as well. But I do think they got a little gassed. Uh, That's what I saw. I I know some people are debating that, whether that's true or not. I know Jay Wright has uh, what we call a very tight rotation. He usually only plays seven, eight guys. But I thought that uh, Villanova uh, only really played six guys on Friday night against UCLA. And I think he probably should have used more of his bench. But then again, I'm not the coach. And I don't know what he sees in practice. Jermaine Samuels played very well for Villanova, 20 points. Colin Gillespie, 18 points. Justin Moore, 14 points but they only got four points off the bench. UCLA, Johnny JuSang, 25 points, eight rebounds. Jaime Jaquez, 21 points, 13 rebounds. Jules Bernard, 16 points, nine rebounds. Those are some pretty serious stats from three of their best players. Uh, and their starting center uh, what well, didn't even play uh, for UCLA. But UCLA made a lot of big shots down the stretch in a terrific uh, opening week of the season. UCLA was really good, um, and they beat a really good Villanova team, and those teams could meet in the Final Four or in the NCAA tournament. They're two of the best teams in the country. I I, I think that's one night where Villanova ran out a little out of gas, but they'll fix that. They'll be better uh, in the future, and I think UCLA is one of the best teams in the country. Uh, They were in the Final Four last year. I think you'll see uh, Villanova uh, and UCLA maybe in the Final Four this year. I think both teams are that good. So to be able to watch them on a Friday night, opening week of the season, was tremendous. Just tremendous. I really, really enjoyed that game. All right, so we're waiting for a call. We have Kenny from Rye calling in at 820. So hopefully calls uh, in a couple of minutes. So I hope you had the chance to watch that game. I don't know how many people were up like I was on Friday night from 1130 to 130 a.m., but I certainly enjoyed the Villanova UCLA game. It was a great basketball game. It wasn't a good basketball game. It was a great basketball game. All right, so while we're waiting for Kenny from Rye, the other game that I was very excited to watch, that was at 10.30 p.m. Again, another West Coast game, another late game, and it was Gonzaga, one of the best teams in the country last year, uh, one of the best teams in the country this year. They're pretty much ranked number one everywhere, Gonzaga. um, Gonzaga played Texas. Now, Texas has a ton of talent. They had some major transfers come in, like seven transfers, and maybe five of them were big-time scorers where they came from at big-time power conference teams. But they're all new. Talk about lack of continuity. This Texas team was playing together for the first time, and you could see that Gonzaga, having the continuity, uh, was better prepared for this opening game. But we're going to talk about that game in a second, because I believe we have our caller, Kenny from Rye, are you there?
2: James, how are we doing?
1: Good. So this is Kenny Nixon, uh, my lifelong friend who loves college basketball like me. He calls every show. So thank you, Kenny. So let's, let's stay on this. I don't know if you got a chance to see Gonzaga against Texas. Did you catch any of that game?
2: Yeah, no, I watched the whole game.
1: So It, you was, saw... it was a great
2: game. And again, it kind of goes back to our theme there of you know continuity versus transfers. And it was, I think it came roaring out of that.
1: Well, if there ever was a game... Where it came roaring out, as you said, it was here, where Gonzaga had a lot of guys back from last year. Texas had two guys back from last year, but like another seven guys in the rotation who were playing their uh, second game for Texas. But the, the story of the night, let's get to the story of that night, Saturday night. Gonzaga against Texas was Drew Timmy. 37 points. Do you hear that, folks? 37 points. He was literally unstoppable. Like, much more unstoppable than you see uh, college players normally uh, playing in big-time games, like a Gonzaga versus a Texas. What about Drew Timmy? Yeah, I mean,
2: it, it, what you see on him is it, 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 there's no highlight film. He, he doesn't resonate on ESPN with dunks or, you know, half-court shots. But the fundamentals are just incredible. And as you say, he has more layups than I've ever seen in college basketball over the course of the last handful of years. So, again, you know, that, that continuity, that that ability to... Bring back, you know, the majority of your scorers year after year it makes such a difference. And it was so obvious in that game that you're going to see Gonzaga do the same thing that they did last year. They're going to, you know, they're going to play some tough games here in the beginning of the year and then get into the Western, the Western Coast Conference, kind of walk through that a little bit. And then we get into the tournament. The only thing is, again, though, is they didn't go very deep on the bench. Um, and that was the issue they had last year, which ended up catching up to them with Baylor.
1: They got 17 points on their bench. Uh, you know who else played very well? They did have a transfer play well, uh, Gonzaga. Uh, Ryzer Bolton, he had 16 points, came from Penn State. Uh, he had a very strong game, too. was the second-leading scorer uh, for Gonzaga after Drew Timmy. But you're right, Timmy's footwork, his fundamentals, uh, his <coughs> technique is second to none. And uh, I don't even think Texas knew what to do with him. They must have known that coming in. They didn't seem like they were prepared to stop him or they were even capable of stopping him.
2: Yeah, I think that the ability, as you say, is capable to stop him because I think it was pretty much. I think everybody knew who he was coming in. Um, so I think, as you say, the question is his his movement without the ball is really his his biggest asset. I think that was came roaring out again in that game, um, which you know I don't think the score was indicative of. You know they were pretty dominant the first half, and you knew things would catch up to them a little bit. And they you know they have a, Texas had a little bit of a run, but they just never were there. You, you never got the real. Feeling there was going to be a real threat for Gonzaga.
1: Well, that's a good point. You know, uh, Gonzaga was leading by fifteen to twenty for most of the game. It ended up being a twelve point game. But when you think about the game, you think about most of the game uh, being a fifteen to twenty point blowout. Another person, Andrew uh, Nemhart, uh, he's a Florida transfer, not uh, two years ago to Gonzaga. So we played with Gonzaga last year. He was in the rotation. Uh, he only had nine points, but he had eight assists, and he was running the offense extremely well. There's a lot of talent uh, on that Gonzaga team. One interesting was, was Holmgren, uh, their superstar seven-foot freshman, uh, didn't have such a great game. He only had five points. It was his, uh, Excuse me, he only had two points. It was his first game ever, I think, playing with college basketball players coming from high school. He'll get a lot better, uh, but not a great night uh, for one of the top recruits in America.
2: Yeah, and he looked a little bit lost at times, and that's understandable. I mean, you're coming into a veteran team where uh, the players, many of the players on the court, have played with each other two, three years, so that's not unexpected. The interesting part about it was, is for what I think he's six foot ten or seven feet, is that his only two points came on a layup, and so it was interesting to see him, uh, you know, someone that tall, uh, you know, take the opportunity for a layup instead of just dunking it. But again, a very mature team. He, he's not. He's, not, he's a piece to the puzzle. He's, not, he's not, the main, uh, not the main piece coming forward this
1: year. Well, back to your theme of continuity. Um, Anton Watson, who was a backup uh, big man for Gonzaga last year, so he did play. Um, he came off the bench for 10 points, played half the game, and played very well. Again, he's a guy that knows the system. He's a veteran player. He's very good. He'd probably start for most teams in the country. He looked really good as well. So Gonzaga's great. Texas has a long way to go. That is a team you could tell uh, that what we see now may be very different than February after this team's played together for a couple of months. Because there's clearly a lot of talent there, but they were not ready to play together as a team.
2: They weren't ready to play Gonzaga. That was the issue. I mean, I'm sure they're talked into those games for reasons of TV and everything else like that, but maybe not the best game to start with. Maybe take a situation where you're paying you know, low to mid-majors. And then warm your team up to bring confidence. You don't want to get too far behind the eight ball. We'll have to see. I, I, you know, again, how long it takes for them to get it together is going to be key. You know, the question is, do they? And what happens to college kids when it doesn't work out? And do they start to, you know, start to play a little bit more uh, selfishly? We'll have to see that. I think that could be the case sometimes this year.
1: So that was a lot of fun. All right, let's start on another subject if we can. There were a lot of big upsets, uh, and. I got to watch, for instance, where my son goes to college, University of South Carolina Gamecocks, a SEC team, a team that like five years ago was in the Final Four. They lost to Princeton. That was a big upset. But the Ivy League got a bunch of upsets, didn't they? Yeah,
2: I mean, we had, you know, from a perspective of, you know, you and I have discussed this, they didn't play basketball last year. So time was frozen. And I I don't really know what they did with regards to working out. Uh, I think many of them did not because either that or they worked out on their own. The campuses were closed in many of the Ivies. so it was interesting. With you know, Princeton beating USC, your team, where you obviously saw that game. Dartmouth beating Georgetown, you know, handily there, and then Brown, the biggest upset of all—I shouldn't say upset, but you know, staying within you know seven points to, to University of North Carolina. So uh, again, a, a great beginning for for
1: a league and teams that sat out a whole year. It was incredible. I agree. And somebody, didn't somebody mm. upset UMass, UMass? I thought one of the Ivy League teams upset yeah, UMass. Yeah,
2: beat UMass, but then they got crushed the next day by Seton Hall. So it was, or I shouldn't say vice versa, day-wise. But yeah, I mean, a solid win against UMass. I, I don't think that's too shocking, but, you know, um, the other two are much, much more prominent wins. But, Dartmouth they, over they, Georgetown, yeah. yeah. The top, so, we'll see.
1: so I watched every minute of the University of North Carolina um, against Brown. And I really turned on that game. I told my wife, I'm, I'm expecting a blowout. I'll probably switch the channel. And Brown was in that game down to three, four minutes to go. They were in that game. Brown played exceptionally well. I was kind of shocked. Although then I did look. <clears throat> Brown has been a decent Ivy League team over the year. Uh, they're not a bad one. They've been uh, average to above average. But uh, UNC, for some reason, and you have to ask Coach uh, UB Davis, who I'm a big fan of, uh, didn't decide to play much defense in that game until the end of the game when they realized they were in trouble.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's it, you know, teams like Princeton has always been there. Obviously, the offense they run. Yale has had some good teams over the course of the last couple of years. Harvard, who we saw this weekend, uh, you know, has had some really good teams over the course of the last few years. Those are three teams that you're going to be nervous playing any time of the year, beginning or end. Brown has been, as you said, mid to bottom a lot of the times, has struggled. I know them well, obviously, from my days of Providence and following them since. As you say, for them to be within five to seven points of UNC is just amazing. And also the fact is that, you know, there's no home court advantage for Brown. They're on the road as well, so we'll have to see.
1: Right. All right, Kenny from Rye, we're coming up to our halfway commercial break in a uh, probably uh, 10, 15 seconds, so... Uh, please stay on the line, and we're going to continue talking college basketball uh, after the break. And I think we'll continue talking about some upsets. And then we're going to have to get your thoughts on Iona College because you were at both games uh, as I was. So, folks, this is the College Hoops Chat radio show. I'm one with Kenny from Rye. Uh, and after the commercial break, we'll keep chatting uh, about college basketball. So please stay with us. we got half the show left to go. Uh, we're waiting for the music to come on in the background. 10 seconds, I'm, I'm told. All right, so again, WVOX, 1460 AM. I'm Jim Masano. This is the College Hoops Chat radio show. Uh, and we'll be back uh, after the commercial break for the second half of our show. There's the music. I'll be right back.
2: Mr. with Dennis and Tommy. Weekday mornings from 6 to 9, right here on 1460 WVOX.
1: 1460 WVOX. It's Jim Maysano, College Hoops Chat Radio Show, WVOX, 1460 AM, my favorite station. And we have on the line our number one caller, Kenny from Rye, Ken Nixon. How are you, Ken?
2: Good, James. How we doing?
1: All right. So you, do you have any other upsets? Because there were some big upsets in the first week of the college basketball season.
2: Yeah, it was funny because obviously we didn't get a chance to watch every game, but it was interesting. Just you know, all you had to do was put up uh, upset twenty twenty one or fall of twenty twenty one hoops, and it comes up quickly. So it was interesting seeing Miami Miami of Ohio over Georgia Tech, Citadel over Pitt, Furman over Louisville, and then a game I think that you and I both watched some of was Navy beating Virginia. So again, you know, it's somewhat shocking to some extent. You know, this early, well, let's call it the first week of the year to see some of these big names drop. So it, I, again, it's going to be an interesting season if it's going to start out like this.
1: I wasn't shocked by Miami of Ohio because you know I watch Buffalo a lot because I went there for law school, so that's a decent program. So and Georgia Tech lost a lot of of their key guys, so I wasn't shocked by that. I'll tell you what I was shocked by: Navy beating Virginia. I didn't see that game. Can you tell me about it? Yeah, I mean they just hung around,
2: and and I think what happens with a lot of these teams you watch the UNC game is. When the kids come out and all of a sudden they have it in their head that they're supposed to win the game, you know, each shot gets tighter and tighter and tighter. And for some reason, UVA just looked tight. Uh, Navy executed very, very well. Uh, Again, you know, they're not a team that's going to make a a, a dramatic change in their lineup. I don't think they moved around a lot of players, uh, you know, in in, in like Texas. So there's a lot of continuity to that. Obviously, they were in great shape early, so that may, you know, probably had, had a little bit to do with it so it was just a game I'm watching, and i never I never thought looking at Navy that they were out of it at any point even you know even down by a little, then back up and at the end, you know u v a just had too many opportunities that were missed, and navy controlled the controlled the tempo for the for basically the last couple of minutes so it was it was a very, very solid game by Navy, and not one where you know there was a three pointer chucked up at the last minute they won They played extremely well, extremely disciplined basketball.
1: So, Kenny from Rye, let me tell you a quick funny story. When Michael was looking at colleges, my son, we went to see Bucknell. And I know you did this with three different kids looking at colleges, so you know what it's all about. So I decided, being a, a college basketball guy, that I would, we'd visit Bucknell on the night of a game. So I saw them play Navy at Bucknell. So I saw Navy play uh, about uh, you know three years ago. And um, Bucknell got a big win that night. It was a great game. They have a nice gym there at Bucknell, but uh, I was surprised. uh, You know, that's my recollection of Navy basketball. That's my my only recollection of Navy basketball since David Robinson. So um, I saw Bucknell beat them, but here they are beating Virginia on the opening game of the of the season. It was kind of hard to believe.
2: Yeah, on TV as well. I mean, it it was it was it was a good game. Obviously, UVA is you know since their national championship, they're always flirting with. You know, a great team. Everybody loves Bennett, the coach. Um, so, again, you know, very, very surprising and a little bit shocking and maybe to some extent beneficial for some of these teams like Virginia to kind of shock the kids into reality here that you're not. this is not, you know, you're not just going to walk through this early season anymore. The, the teams come, and for a team like Navy, this may be the biggest game of the year for them.
1: I agree. All right, so let's jump around to some other games. So I'm going to talk about one, then I'm going to have you talk about your Providence Friars. So, I did catch the second half on Saturday of St. Peter's at St. John's, and I will tell you, St. John's looked terrific. I mean, they played really well because St. Peter's is probably the second best team in the MAC and will be a team that will give Iona a tough game. St. John's pretty much blew them out of the gym, they played tremendous. I don't know if you caught any of that game.
2: I caught the highlights, and it was nothing unexpected. When you bring it, when you bring back a very, very good backcourt, and you repeat the same the next year, and again in a year where there's been a lot of transition, to say the least, you're going to have great success, particularly early on. And from a perspective of what we see, what we you and I have seen live with Iona College, you see the game kind of gets ugly when your when your backcourt is new or has not worked together a lot. It gets ugly early, and, and sometimes stays that way. And things are forced. Um, Where St. John's is going to have a much, much better flow with that with that backcourt, you know. And, and again, I think it's everybody's for the most part. Everybody has said it's the number one backcourt in the country for the most part right now.
1: So they have Julian Chippenny, who got twenty two points, and he was, uh, I thought, the best player in the Big East last year. Um, and of course, we know they have a uh, Posh Alexander, just a terrific point guard. Uh, he shot five for eight from the field. Um, he had nine assists. He plays great defense. So we expected those two to play great, and they did. But here's the one that was so cool. Tariq Coburn. I don't know if you know that name. Uh, He was terrific in the game. Um, He shot uh, three for five from three-pointer. He had 17 points. I don't know if you know the story on this kid. He played for Hofstra last year. He graduated from Hofstra, and he got into a highly selective program at St. John's for Masters, uh, for be, to be a physician's assistant. So he went to St. John's for this terrific program, again, to be a physician's assistant uh, for a master's degree and didn't think of, of playing college basketball. I don't know if, I, if St. John's contacted him or he contacted them, but eventually he said, would you like to be on the team? And he said, you know, I can't be. This program is too tough. Well, they looked at the scheduling. They tried to work it out, maybe take some easier classes in the first semester. So he joined the team uh, kind of on a lark. He was a very good player, like 15 points a game last year for Hofstra, but he wasn't really recruited. He just went to St. John's for this program, and here he is on the team on his very first night scoring 17 points. That's a great story.
2: A great story, and also to the point, as you're saying, a solid player on a solid team, you know, spending four years there and coming over, and this being his fifth. Um, And so, again, you know, someone who walks out uh, on the court with a fair amount of confidence, fair amount of experience, and, you know, obviously with a backcourt like that, he benefits greatly.
1: And also, uh, the two transfers they got, Aaron Wheeler from Purdue and Joel Soriano, who went to Stepanak, who came from Fordham, both played very well. I really like what I saw from St. John's. They're going to be a tough team in the Big East
2: continuity continuity at the top so as you say it's better to have five guards than to have five forwards in college basketball
1: all right you're on kenny from rye you went to providence you're a friar you're a loyal fan i did not see your team yet so tell us all about your two and oh providence friars
2: i mean you know both solid games i mean they they took fairfield out at 80 73 and we know fairfield is a very good defensive team and that was pretty obvious um and the second game was against Sacred Heart, which was close at the first half and then complete dominance by, by Providence in the second half. They played very well. What Again, what comes out here, here is, and you know them very, you know one of them very well, is the two transfers they got that are 50 years, Durham from Indiana and Manaya from USC, are such value-adds. I mean, they, they make our backcourt look dramatically, dramatically better. Both of them bring a sense of maturity, a sense of calm. Uh, it, it is much prettier to watch, Providence this year than last year. I think Providence got stuck last year because of the fact that David Duke was the highlight, and every time down the court he had to stop, you know, touch the ball, and then it kind of got stuck. And the Bynum, who was the, was the point guard who came over from St. Joe's with no preseason, no summer workouts, he never got in the flow of the game. And so, uh with Duke leaving for the NBA this year. You know, it kind of opened things up a little bit. And then the addition of these two 50ers, I was talking to Peter DiBiase, who you know is a caller in, and it was just dramatically a different look for the team, not only from a standpoint of offense, but also defensively as well. And I think Cooley is very happy with these two transfers. All right.
1: Uh, I, I, I like your team. I like Providence. I don't know if they're like a top five team in the Big East, but I think they're a team that could be on the bubble of the NCAA tournament. I think they're going to have a good squad. Uh, be interesting to see uh, my t- team. I root for St. John's against your Providence Friars. That'll be a really good game.
2: Absolutely, and again, you know, if you take, if you think of it now, obviously St. John's has continuity with their backcourt, but Providence has maturity with the 250 years, and then also Bynum, who has been there now two years, who was effectively would be a senior if he was at St. Joe's. Obviously, last year frozen, so they've got a mature mature uh, backcourt as well, and that makes a huge huge difference, particularly for. Nate Watson, who is the quote-unquote star of the team, is a center, but he is a center, and he is a pure center. He's, he does not get farther than 10 feet from the basket. So he's a great physical presence, and he ha, he's benefited dramatically uh, from the two transfers.
1: Okay, I agree. And let's, so, let's talk about one other game. I don't, I, you probably didn't catch this game, but I was watching uh, the school that I went to. When you went off to Providence, I went off to St. Bonaventure. St. Bonaventure is the number 23 team in the nation. And they were playing Canisius, which is a rivalry game. Niagara, Canisius, and St. Bonaventure. They've been playing for like 100 years. Uh, it's a rivalry. Uh, but Canisius played very well. As a matter of fact, Iona College better be careful. Canisius was up at the half, Kenny from Rye, 31-26. to And Canisius was leading with six fifty-four in the game, 57-50. I was freaking out watching this game, not understanding how the number 23 team in the nation, a team with five starters back, an NCAA tournament team was losing by 7 with 6.54 to go in the game against Canisius. But luckily, um, the cream rose to the top, and the better team started uh, figuring out how to win, and they clamped down on defense, and they started hitting more shots, and St. Bonaventure ended up winning 69-60. But that's quite a turnaround in the final seven minutes of the game for St. Bonaventure to go from losing 57-50 to winning 69 Sixty. So uh, they really clamped down. I think. So I guess they only scored three points. uh, Canisius in the final seven minutes of the game, where Saint Bonaventure scored about twenty. But uh, it was a little scary for the Saint Bonaventure Bonnies in their second game of the season.
2: As you said, rivalries make a big difference. I mean, everybody comes in. You know, teams that have played each other or schools that have played each other for you know seventy five years. Uh, you can throw out all the predictions and all the rankings and, you know and let, let them play as you say, it ends up being usually a good
1: game so their first game they played Siena, another team uh, that Iona uh, will play twice this year, and a team that 's usually been very strong in the mac. Uh, saint Bonaventure handled them pretty well at seventy six uh, to forty seven so saint bonnie 's off to two and oh they got an interesting game. They're playing at 2 o'clock in one of these tournaments down in Charleston. They're playing Boise State, who's a pretty good basketball program. So that'll be a good test for St. Bonaventure on Thursday afternoon.
2: Yeah, and I guess, as you say, you know, from a perspective, it really gives an interesting highlight for the Atlantic 10. Is St. Is, is, is is Bonaventure going to just dominate the league? And I think right now, as you say, with the continuity they have and the people they brought back, you'd have to say yes.
1: St. Bonaventure won the Atlantic 10 in the regular season last year. They won their tournament. Uh, they, went, they went to the NCAA tournament and lost a close game. To, they actually <laughs> caught up in the end, but they were down the whole game against LSU. But that's a very strong program. They brought all five starters back. So that's right. All right, Kenny from Rye. I think we're bumping up. There's the music. Uh, thank you so much for staying with us all this time. Thanks for talking to us about college basketball, and we'll talk soon.
2: Great, James. Thank you for your time. Great job,
1: Kenny from Rye. All right, folks, going to commercial break, and we'll hopefully have some more callers uh, after the break.
2: Every morning. Good morning, Westchester, with Dennis and Tommy. Weekday mornings from six to nine, right here on fourteen sixty WVOX.
1: Fourteen sixty WVOX. They're playing basketball. We love
0: that basketball.
1: They're playing. Okay, basketball. folks, we're back on College Hoops Chat. We're in we our final segment. Basketball. The lines are open now, 914-636-0110, and we have a caller, and a caller that I'm excited to chat with, because Tim and I go back uh, in this radio station for decades. Uh, this is Tim Idoni, the former mayor of New Rochelle, and now the county clerk of New Rochelle, who went to the Iona game, Iona-Harvard, this Saturday with me. How are you doing, Tim Idoni?
0: Hey, Tim. Glad to be able to uh, chat with you tonight. just get off a New Rochelle Public Library Foundation meeting, so... It's an all new show night for us tonight. Thanks That's for having good.
1: me. Well, you're a good public citizen. Happy to have you. And I know you are, like uh, for like 40 years probably, uh, an Iona College fan, and you played football for Iona College, and you were there for the glory days of college basketball. So one thing you know is Iona College Hoops. Indeed. I've
0: been going to Iona College games since I was a little kid, having grown up right next to the campus. Matter of fact, my first game I can remember was a game at Iona Prep, believe and they used to play there. And Julius Irving, that Dr. J, played for the University of Massachusetts against them. They slaughtered Iona that night. He was a one-man show.
1: Great, great basketball player, obviously. Wow, what a great memory. So I started going in the mid-'70s, um, kind of like when guys started showing up like Dave Brown and Kevin Bass, uh, that really uh, Jim Valvano had just got there. and they, for the, You know, that's when Iona really started taking a step to be a big-time program in the country. I, were you attending then?
0: Oh, my gosh, that's when I was playing football. Jim got there my junior year at Iona. Kevin Bass was actually a classmate. Dave Brown was a year, year behind us. And uh, Valvano got there and just turned the campus upside down with his uh, not only his recruitment but his uh, expansion of the the basketball sc- uh, program into a uh, into a national program for all intents and purposes. We saw University of Detroit with Dick Vitale come in. Uh, Pittsburgh came into play right, at, right, at, and Louis Carter II, Saint John's played us three or four times. Uh, yeah, and, and Val Valner used to come into football practices and actually give us pep talks. His, his first year there it was uh, it was a different atmosphere than Little Iona was used to. That's for sure.
1: Yeah, what an exciting time! And I, listen that when I was a, so then I went over to Iona Prep uh, after grammar school, and so that was like really those are those years like in '79 and '80 when Iona beat Louisville and they were ranked. Um, in the top twenty-five in the nation, and they Absolutely. went to that great, great Alaskan shootout, and they beat a really big-time team. I can't remember who it was; you probably remember. But it was uh, they were. Iona uh, got ranked in Sports Illustrated in the preseason edition one of those years. They got ranked in the top twenty-five. That was like unbelievable for Iona College. Absolutely.
0: As a matter of fact, that year they did wind up finishing nineteenth in the in the top twenty-five poll, and I, I believe they lost to the University of Kentucky by one or two points in the finals of that. Alaskan shootout, but beat two or three teams that nobody could ever think that they could beat, so it was, a, it was an exciting time. It really was, and it, 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 put, it put us right on the map. There was no doubt about it. It was
1: really fun. I always say, Tim, uh, living through that as a, going to Iona Prep while you were at Iona College, but when they played that year after they beat Louisville at the Garden, and they went in the NCAA tournament, and they beat Holy Cross in the first round, and then they had mm-hmm. to play Georgetown in the Sweet 16. It was such a bummer for for because I think they could have beat most teams in the country, but for some reason that, that season, they couldn't get past Georgetown in the regular season or in the NCAA tournament.
0: Yeah, well, you know, they had that big aircraft carrier, as they called them in the middle, Jeff Rulin, who was a first-team All-American center and he just took care of business all throughout the season. And then they, they, they wound up losing by two points to Georgetown on, on a shot that should have been taken by Jefferson. was taken by one of the guards, unfortunately. He missed the shot that would have tied the game. But, uh, yeah, they, 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 had, they had a, a top-20 team. And who would have ever thought of that a little Iona College?
1: Yeah. Imagine if they ever won that Georgetown game. They would have been in the Elite Eight. That would have been unbelievable to well, you know,
0: small-known fact, they were the last team of the year to beat uh, Louisville that year. That's right. And they beat them soundly. They beat them by 14, 15 points at the Garden. What yeah. a night that
1: was. I remember. That was a, a very exciting night in the city in New Rochelle. It was a big night. People were really pumped up. The game was at the Garden, but I think people were watching it all over the city.
0: No doubt about it. No yeah, it was a great night.
1: It. All right, let's, yep. let's, let's come back to home. Uh, yes. uh, I mean, not only home, but now. We, you and I uh, had a lot of fun on Saturday because we got to see... A really competitive, a really tough, tenacious basketball game on Saturday, where Iona eked out a win, ninety to eighty-seven in overtime against probably a much tougher Harvard team than we imagined.
0: No doubt about it. I mean, I think the, the Ivy League's got some really good teams this year too. Uh, I think Prince is going to be good. Brown's going to be good. Yale, I think, is going to be pretty good. Yale's on their schedule as well, if I remember correctly. I think it's at the Barclays Center, if I remember correctly. Yale, but yes. The, uh, yeah, I think Harvard is an NCAA you know t- tournament team, um, so they can't, nobody should take that game lightly in terms of how tough it was going to be, how tough it was, and, and Iona's got, got some new guys who look like if you can bring it to the hoop.
1: No, I agree. So no, you know, Coach Patino. After we said goodbye, I went to interview Coach Patino. He certainly was worried about the game. He thought you know Harvard, like you just said, is going to be. Uh, uh, an NCAA tournament team coming out of the Ivy League team, they may just be the best team in the Ivy. And we know the Ivy League, Dartmouth got a big win. Princeton got a big win. Yale got a big win. So Ivy League kind of surprised the country. And here we were Saturday watching them almost surprise Iona. But Iona toughed it out. That I thought that watching that game, the defense kept getting better as the game went on. They kind of figured out how to beat Harvard, but it took a while. Did you think that? No, 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 no
0: doubt about it. I mean, it, it, it was a nail-biter, but it was a nail-biter from the beginning to the end, which made it such an exciting game. But, you know, people don't realize how well-coached those Ivy League teams are. Remember, you go back to the days when Princeton used to have those teams that played the NCA's every single year, and they would always lose by three points in the first round to a great team. But they were so well-coached, and I think that's what you saw with Tommy Amaker and the, and the former Duke star who's been coaching at Harvard for a number of years now. Uh, and he's put it together with is like a very intelligent team, obviously. They could shoot, they could play great defense, and uh, and they, they ran the court with Iona very, very well, and Iona's always been known as a running team.
1: Absolutely. Tim, so let's uh, let's talk about our texting, because you and I both went online when we got <laughs> home and took it some looked at some stats. So I'm going to first read your text. Uh, prior to that game, uh, Iona versus Harvard Saturday, uh, Harvard had won seven straight non-conference games, going back to 2019-20. That's awfully impressive. And Iona broke the streak. Yeah, indeed, indeed.
0: You know, it, it, and, and, and you know, they, don't, they don't book weak teams. You know, some of the teams go out to you. Always, you, you heard about the uh, our, our friend Jared Rice, now city judge, played for Delaware State, went out to UCLA and played the first game at UCLA. And obviously they got creams. But Harvard goes out and plays competitive teams in the beginning of the year to toughen themselves up to their league
1: schedule. Absolutely. So I took a look after Tim sent me a text because I was kind of wondering, you know, I feel like Harvard's been really good for a while. And I know Tommy Amaker is a well-respected coach. You know, he had a, a so I took a look at his stats. He had a rocky first year. But get this. After his first year at Harvard, he then averaged 20 wins per year over 12 years. I didn't even realize he was there so long. And they played at such a high level for so long. Um, and he took them to the big dance four times in those 12 seasons, and he even got into the top 25 twice. Um, so Tommy Amaker has got this Harvard program playing at a very high level. That's no cupcake game for Iona. They beat a really good team on Saturday.
0: No, no, no doubt about it. But it's, you know, Iona's been known to always play some tough teams in the beginning of the season, win one, lose one, lose two, win one. Um, they're out there 2-0 and already with an exhibition win, of course, against the I guess it was a Delphi a few yes. weeks ago. So you know, I, this is really promising as far as I can tell. I, I think they're 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 ready for a, a an easy twenty win season and maybe twenty five wins.
1: What's so interesting about the Iona team so far is that both App State and Harvard they had a clamp down on defense at the end of the game. Uh, including the Harvard game going to OT. But they made plays when it mattered. And sometimes you can't coach that, Tim. And Iona's making plays down the stretch to win basketball games. That Those type of lessons mean a really great season coming up.
0: No doubt about it. I'm sure you were watching the way I was. But I was, I was watching Patino walk up and down the bench. He never sat down the entire game. He is one intense guy. And I think that you know, intensity reflects on the team and the way they play out on the court.
1: Yeah, the interesting thing he said in his comments after the game, he said that throughout his career, his teams always play better in the second half they do in the first half. And that's really true in the first two games, App State and Harvard. You saw the team kind of get better as they went along. They kind of figured out a way to win, uh, how they matched up and made a couple of adjustments. That was impressive. Um, but the other thing I thought was interesting was how well I owned a shot in overtime. I didn't realize this, Tim, until I got home. But in the overtime... From uh, the th- they were three for four on field goals. Uh, they were one for one on three pointers, and in free throws in overtime five for five. So basically, oh, almost everything they shot in the overtime they hit. I know I, I kind of yeah. remembered it, but I, when I looked at the stats, that was really amazing how well they shot in OT. Uh,
0: and so those free throws are huge, as you know. I mean, it, it, if they don't hit their free throws in overtime, the game's lost. And they did it; they absolutely did it. And you know, I'm just thinking about it. Appalachian State made the big dance last year. You didn't
1: they? They did. Yeah. They did. Yeah. So they beat Harvard, who would have been in when the last time they played two years ago, and they beat App State, who was in the uh, NCAA tournament last year. So uh, you got to be impressed with Coach Patino. He's not playing any cupcakes. And Hofstra coming in tomorrow night, another tough game. That's a good program.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, I do believe they won the other night as well. So. Uh... Uh, this is good, and it's a good way to break the team. And you know, they uh, they're not playing cupcakes, as you like to call them, and and they're uh, and they're winning the games that are preparing them for a, a league schedule, which most people are poo pooing. But that league is always tough. I agree. I mean, there's it right.
1: three or four teams that are, are good, good, good ball clubs. All right, great call, Tim Idoni. Thank you so much. It's so much more yeah. fun to talk about basketball than politics on WVOX. Thank you so much for calling to you, Jim. All the best. Take thanks, care. thanks, Tim. That's Tim Ioni. Great call, folks. There's the music. The show is over. Hope you enjoyed it. We talked a lot of basketball. We'll be back next Monday night at eight o'clock. Enjoy the games over the next week, everybody.